Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 27. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. There are 5.6 million people, billion, pardon me, people on the planet today. If it's 50 times a day and there's per per person and there's 5.6 billion people on the planet, you think about how much sin that is. Do the math in one day. Now, the Bible says that Jesus bears the sin of the entire world on his shoulders, past, present, and future. So Jesus is bearing the sin. Jesus is is carrying a heavy weight of sin on his shoulders at this time. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 tells us. It says, for he, God, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He, the Father, made Jesus to be sin for us that we might be righteous. You know, when I study the Bible... And, and when I'm studying and preparing the sermon, I have two computers open. I have my, my, my one computer for my, my word processing, and then I have another computer for all my Bible programs. I usually keep four or five translations open before me at all times. So I've got my translations here, and I've got my word processing here. And I love to just compare, just to, at a glance, just look at what this version says and what that version says. And I love what the Living Bible says about Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says it like this. For God, notice this here, for God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins that in exchange he poured God's goodness into us. Don't you? I I just love the way that reads. In other words, God the Father poured all the sins of the world in Jesus and if anyone would repent and believe in him, God will pour all all of his goodness and righteousness into us. If you'll repent, all God's goodness he'll pour into you. If you say, God, I want you to come into my life. But Jesus, the Bible's clear, was forsaken by the Father. I want to read you something, and I'm going to ask you to give me your attention because this is actually a quite uh, lengthy uh, reading that I want to read for you. But it's from, listen, it's from a book called When God Weeps, and it's by uh, Joni Erickson Tata. You know, you know that author? You know that name? Yeah. And, uh, and this book is, is about, you might want to pick it up. It's a great book. But, but it's about why our sufferings matter to the Almighty. It's a book about suffering in the time and this time that Jesus is on the cross. So, so, so please give me your attention, and please allow me, if you will, uh, to read this lengthy uh, text. Listen closely. On your back with you, One raises a mallet to sink in the spike, but the soldier's heart must continue to pumping as he readies a prisoner's wrist. 
Someone must sustain the soldier's life minute by minute, for no man has this power on his own. Who supplies breath to his lungs and who gives energy to his cells? Who holds molecules together? Only by the sun do all these things hold together. Colossians 1.17 The victim wills that the soldier live on and he grants the warriors continued existence and the man swings and as the man swings, the son recalls how he and the father first designed the medial nerve of the human fore- forearm and the sensations it will be capable of. The design proved flawless. The nerves perform exquisitively. Up you go, they lift the cross, and God is on display in his underwear. He can scarcely breathe, but these pains are a mere warm-up to his other and growing dread. He begins to feel a foreign sensation. Somewhere during this day, an unearthly foul odor begins to waft, not around his nose, but around his heart. He feels dirty. Human wickedness starts to crawl on his spotless being. The living excrement from our souls and the apple of his father's eye turns brown with rot. His face, he must face his father like this. From heaven, the father now rouses himself like a lion disturbed and shakes his mane and roars against the swiveling remnants of a man hanging on a cross. Never has the son seen the father look at him so. Never felt the least of his hot breath, but the roar shakes the unseen world and darkens the visible sky. The son does not recognize these eyes. Son of man, why have you so behaved? If you you have cheated and lusted and stolen and gossiped, murdered, envied, lied, you've cursed, robbed, overspent and overeaten, fornicated, disobeyed, embezzled and blasphemed. Oh, the duties you have shirked, the children you have abandoned. Who has ever so ignored the poor and so played the crowd and so belittled my name? Have you held your razor tongue with a self-righteous, pitiful drunk? You who molest young boys and peddle killer drugs, travel in cliques and mock your parents? Who gave you the boldness to rig elections and ferment revolutions and torment animals and worship demons? Does the list never end? Splitting families and raping virgins and acting smugly, playing the pimp, buying politicians and practicing extortion, filming pornography and accepting bribes. Burned down buildings, perfecting terrorist tactics, founded false religions, traded in slaves, relishing each morsel and bragging about it all. I hate, I loathe these things in you. Disgust for everything about you consumes me. Can you not feel my wrath? Of course the son is innocent. He is blameless. This itself, the father knows this. But the divine pair have an agreement and an unthinkable, the unthinkable must now take place. Jesus will be treated as if personally responsible for every sin committed. The father watches as his heart treasures the mirror image of himself, sinks drowning into a raw liquid sin. Jehovah's stored rage against humankind from every century explodes in a single direction. Father, father, why have you forsaken me? But heaven stops his ears and the son stares up at the one who cannot and will not reach down or reply. Eternity had planned it. The Son endured it. The Spirit enabled him, and the Father rejected the Son whom he loved. And Jesus, the God-man from Nazareth, perished. And the Father accepted the sacrifice for sin. The Father was satisfied. And the rescue was accomplished. Wow. That's awesome. 
And we need to take the time to just meditate on what went on in those three hours of Jesus feeling forsaken. Well, let me put the story together for you, if you will. John chapter 18, verse 28, you can look this up in your own time, but Jesus tells us, and then the Bible says that Jesus said at that point, I thirst. After he said, my God, my God, why is thou forsaken me? Then he said, I thirst. Then a Roman soldier took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put a reed on it, put it on a reed and he offered it to him to drink. And then the religious leaders, they objected to it and they said, let him alone and let us see if Elijah will come and save him. And they thought he was calling for Elijah. Interesting. And then in John chapter 19, continuing to put the story together, tells us Jesus said, it is finished. The Greek word is tetelestai. Tetelestai? Yeah, it means paid in full. And there are many usages on that word. As a matter of fact, I've done a sermon. It's on CD called The Seven Last Statements of Christ on the Cross. And if you're interested... We, we, we deal with each of the statements that he made uh, on the cross, and we go into great detail about this word, to telestai. It literally means paid in full. It is finished. What is finished? All the prophecies re- referring to his first coming is finished. The completion of his suffering is finished. The reason he suffered is finished. The fulfillment of the law was completed and is finished. It's the end of sin and death and the destruction of Satan's power. And that's why Paul the Apostle could write in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? It is Jesus who has gotten us the victory. Why? Because it's finished. Finished? In the Greek language, the word finished means finished. You're all Greek scholars now. It means it's finished. And don't misunderstand, this isn't a statement of defeat, but it's a shout of victory for Jesus. And it's a shout of victory for every single Christian. Well, then in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, it then tells us, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last breath. Matthew 27, 50, in our text, it then tells us, look at it again in verse 50. It says, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and he yielded up the spirit. Now, notice that Jesus, I want you to understand something, gave up his spirit. Jesus gave up his spirit. The word yielded literally means to let go. It means to send away. You got to understand something. Nobody killed Jesus. You understand? Say amen. Amen. Oh, they killed poor Jesus. They killed the man. No, they didn't kill him. He let go of his spirit. He sent it away. You know, he, life didn't slip away from him. He didn't get weaker and weaker and weaker until he couldn't hold on any further. And then he died. It didn't happen like that. The Bible says he yielded up his spirit. He gave it away. It was Augustine who said he gave up his life because he willed it, when he willed it, and as he willed it. I like that. John chapter 10 verse 18 tells us, no man takes my life from me, Jesus said, but I lay it down of myself and I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. No one killed Jesus. He yielded up the spirit. And then notice in verse 51, look at it again. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. Look at verse 51. And then behold. Now that's an interesting word. In other words, this word behold means check this out. In the Greek. It means check it out, baby. 
It means, wow. It means, don't miss this. Notice Jesus yielded up his spirit. The veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. Now, the temple, if you've been around here, you know this. The temple had two compartments. They had the Holy of Holies, and then you had the the holy place. And between the two compartments was this, this veil. This veil of the temple was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and 18 inches thick. It is believed that it took 300 priests to hang this temple or to hang this uh, curtain in the temple. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the high priest that one day would go into the temple and he would wear, he'd go into, he'd wear his robe and around the base of the robe you had pomegranates and you had these little gold bells and on one day a year he would take the blood of the lamb and go behind the veil and behind the veil was, was the Ark of the Covenant and was the Shekinah glory of God and one time a year he could go behind the veil and offer blood on the mercy seat. Remember we talked about that? And because he he had to be pure and he had to have offered a sacrifice for his own sins and if he didn't and he wasn't pure, he wasn't sin free, that he would die in the presence of the Lord. And so the people would tie a rope around his leg and as he would go behind the curtain into the presence of God, the people would feed him the rope and they would hear the bells moving and hear the bells ringing. And, and, and if they didn't hear the bells ringing, it meant that he was dead. He had died because he wasn't sin free. He wasn't pure and, and cleansed from his own sin. Well, Jesus died. Did you notice this in our text? And at that moment, the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. It's almost as if a huge sword had dropped down on it and it was torn from top to bottom. Why? Because God tore it. Now, now you got to understand something here. The veil spoke of distance and caution. Write that down. The veil spoke of distance and caution. The veil said, stay away. Don't come near. You know, it was almost like back away from the veil. Sir, step away from the veil. It said stay away. The veil spoke of isolation and separation and segregation. But when Jesus died, the veil was torn. Why? Because when Jesus died, listen at this, when Jesus died and completed the work on the cross, this was a message to any man that we don't have to be distant anymore. That we don't have to be isolated anymore. That now we can boldly, Hebrews tells us, that we can boldly come unto the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy and help in a time of need. Do you know, because the veil was torn, listen, because the veil was torn, we can pray anytime, anywhere, any circumstance. Driving in your car, you can just have a word of prayer. In the office, you can have a word of prayer. Over your kids, you can have a word of prayer. Over your kids, you need to fast and pray. Over your kids, you can have a word of prayer. You, we can pray anytime. Why? Because the veil was torn. You see, thank God the veil was torn. Because if the veil wasn't torn, then every time you needed prayer, you would have to then go to the priest. And if it wasn't the day of Yom Kippur, well, then it would just have to wait. But the veil was torn. So that we can now go into the presence of God. The torn veil says open house. The torn veil says come right in. 
No more sacrifices, no more religious rituals, no more blood of the lamb, no more temple. If you believe in Jesus, you can come in anytime you want and pray and talk to the Father. And wouldn't you have loved to be a fly on the wall when Jesus died on the cross and there was an earthquake and the Everything began to break up and split, and then the veil of the temple split. Can you imagine being the priest inside the temple when the, torn, when the veil got torn? Can you imagine he's standing there thinking, I'm going to die. <laughs> he's like, Weezy, I'm coming home, baby. I'm coming home, Weezy. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Weezy, I'm going to die. His heart is pounding. He's tripping because he knows. You can't see the glory of God. If you're with me so far, say amen. You you can't see the glory of God and live. But he's standing there in the temple. The the whole thing just rips. And he's standing there. And he probably, Wheezy, 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 Wheezy. I ain't dead. Hey. He's probably like, I'm alive, I'm alive. He's probably singing that song. I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. <laughs> Kicking up my heels. I mean, this is an amazing thing. And he's just blessed because he's alive. And listen, when we come into the presence of God, just like the priest didn't die in God's presence, listen, you won't die in God's presence because you can come into God's presence and we do come into God's presence not as sinners, but as saints, as sons, and as daughters. We come into God's presence based on God's goodness, watch this, and not our performance. What did the priest do to get the veil torn? Nothing, honey. He was just standing there. He didn't do nothing. It wasn't his performance. So what does that teach us? Listen, write this down. Don't sew up the veil. (laughs) Amen, saints? You know, this is true historically. The Jewish people, check this out. The Jewish people, when the veil was torn, the Jewish people, true story, tried to sew it up. Isn't that just like religious folks? Oh, man, look, wait a minute now. You can't come into God's presence unless you do something. You know what I mean? It's about your performance. It's about what you do. Listen, don't try to sew up the veil. You know, man tries to sew up the veil. Don't get your needle and thread out and start, well, you know what? Let me sew that veil back up because we like to perspire. We like to work for our salvation. God's not looking for perspiration. He's looking for inspiration. You see, God, God rips open the veil. Man likes to sew it up. God opens the way, man closes it. God says, come, man says, stay away. God makes it easy, man complicates it. God says, you can can just believe on the son, the one who was crucified. And man says, oh, that's too easy. We got to add some ceremonies. We got to add some rituals. We got to add some works. Hey, babe, you better tithe. You got to add something to it. Grace plus nothing equals salvation. Now, should we serve the Lord? Absolutely. But your service of the Lord is proof that you are a Christian. But serving the Lord does not make you a Christian. It is not by works, not by works, but by grace you have been saved. Saints, please say amen. Amen. Important. Important. In verse 51 again, the veil is torn, the graves are open, many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and they're coming out of the graves after his resurrection. They went into Jerusalem and many people saw them. Man, that's a trip. 
I mean, you're, you're hanging out in Jerusalem, sitting at the outdoor cafe. And there goes dead. That looked like dead Uncle Harry. Then we bury him. I could have sworn when we buried him. Man, man, he looked just like him. The clothes, I mean, the dead grave clothes. I mean, what's up? Why I don't know what happened to him? But they saw him. Dead people. What does that tell us? Well, it's just a foretaste of what's going to happen in the resurrection. You see, God is sending a message to all mankind for all eternity and for all time that death has been conquered. When Jesus died, it caused a resurrection and someday our bodies will be raised as well from the grave. And then notice when the centurion saw what happened, he said, truly, this was the Son of God. And then notice in verse 56 in your Bibles, you can always count on the ladies. Say amen, fellas. You can always count on the ladies. You know that, notice these women here. These ladies, Mary and Mary, the mother of James and, and, and Salome, these women. These women were the last at the cross on Friday. They were present at his burial that late afternoon. They were the first at the tomb on Sunday morning. You see, women were eyewitnesses to his death, burial, and resurrection. Boy, you, gotta, you can always count on ladies to get the job done. And then notice in verse 57 through 66, we just read this. Somewhere between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m., a rich man by the name of Joseph from Arimathea was a disciple. He requested Jesus' body. Now, on rare occasion, bodies were taken down from the cross, and I mean rare occasions, taken down from the cross and given to the family only. But more often, they were thrown in or on an open grave or a burning garbage heap most of the time. But we know that Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin, and so he goes to Pilate, and, he, and Pilate allowed him to take the body of Jesus. And then John chapter 19 tells us that Joseph and Nicodemus took the body of Jesus. Joe bought the linen and the tomb, and Nick bought 100 pounds of spices. And you got to wonder. I mean, you get the scene. They take a ladder. They put it up to the cross, and they, 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 they take the nails out of his hand. And the other hand, and they pull it out of his feet. And then they have to remove the crown of thorns from his swollen head and face. And can you imagine what they might have been thinking about? I wonder if Nick at that point thought about the time when Jesus said, as Moses is lifted up as a serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto me. He said that to Nicodemus. And I wonder when they saw and they touched the spear in his side, did they flash back to the verse in Isaiah 53, verse 3, which says, or verse 5, which says he was pierced. For our transgressions. And I wonder were they embarrassed because they were secret agent Christians and they didn't speak up at the council meeting. And then they thought maybe in Isaiah 53 verse 3, he was despised and we did not esteem him. And when they laid him in Joseph's new tomb, did they remember Isaiah 53 9, which says they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death? I wonder, well, they took him and they laid him in the tomb and, and they sealed it with a stone. And then finally, in verse 62 through 66, they think, notice these guys. Let me read that again. On the next day, in verse 62, are you with me? Say amen. amen. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests, the Pharisees, gathered together with Pilate. And they said, sir, we remember while he was still alive that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal. Huh him away 
and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception, underline that, the last deception will be worse than the first. You know, they think the last deception will be worse than the first. If they could only see through the quarters of time, if they could only see thousands of years later, as we gather at Calvary Chapel to celebrate and remember the fact that Jesus did rise from the grave. You see, they, they're, they're, they're worrying that the, that the people will believe what they believe is not true. When the fact is, they think it's a lie, we know it to be fact, that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Amen, saints? He rose from the grave. And then I close with this. As C.S. Lewis said this, and I love this statement, he put this whole thing, chapter, this way. He said, the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become the sons of God. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.